Thank you for tuning in to the Suffolk University Law School Office of Admissions on iTunes U. Good morning. This is Gail Ellis, Dean of Admissions at Suffolk Law School. This morning, I'd like to introduce Professor Carter Bishop, who's going to speak with you today about writing a good law school exam. Good morning, Professor Bishop. What we should talk about here is an approach to taking a law school examination. And it's probably intelligent to think about the law school examination space differently than you think about preparing for class. And that's one thing I think students don't understand well. Students tend to think that the law school examination process is exactly like preparing for class when in truth it's exactly the opposite. The case method is designed to allow you to test your application of the rules and to deconstruct the cases to see whether or not answers that have been provided by somebody else are intelligent, make sense, are persuasive. But when you get to the law school exam, that's not what you're doing. You're not deconstructing somebody else's answer. You're providing the answer and the solution. So you have to switch from your vantage point as a student in the class to a student writing the exam, you are the judge. So now, instead of deconstructing what the judge said, you're the judge and writing it, and your law professor is going to deconstruct it. Your answer, just like you deconstructed the judges. Unfortunately, you only have generally 30 to 60 minutes to write an essay question, and so we're going to talk about writing law school essay exams. Because you understand that there is a difference between taking a law school examination and getting ready for class, you understand that class on a daily basis is really about briefing cases and reading the material, going to class, taking your lecture notes, and then after that process, getting together either in study groups or by yourselves and outlining your material. You're outlining for the purpose of outlining the rules. The purpose of your outline is not to have an opus. The purpose of your outline is so that you structure the rules in a way that you can remember them and that you can articulate them. So your outline is critical for organizing rules for memory purposes for the exam. Once you've got the rules understood, then I think the key is really to understand that taking the exam is a skill. Just like playing golf or any other skill, it's a skill unlike coming to class. So what do you do? Well, before the exam, it's very advisable to get old exams from either your student bar association or from the faculty websites and practice on those. There are some helpful books in the law school bookstore sometimes that give you practice exams and practice solutions. Take exams. Just like in preparing for the LSAT, sometimes you took old LSAT. SATs, same with the exam. Take exams so that you have some practice, so that you know what to expect, and make sure that you follow the timelines that are applicable. Then you have the exam period itself, and then after the exam. After the exam, I think it's important that you come back, no matter what you got, review your exams, look at your professor's marks on your exams, try to understand what he or she was suggesting, try and understand your grade, try and understand where you went wrong, learn from your mistake. If you don't understand what your mistakes were and how that cost you, on the exam, make an appointment to talk with your faculty member about it, and I'm sure that they would be happy to do so and explain to you what it was that you failed to do. Let's talk about taking the exam itself. First thing that I think is critically important, these are just steps. You can do them and collapse them or expand them. Notice how much time that you have on the exam question. Time's the killer, and if you don't plan your time, just like in the LSAT, you won't do well in the exam. You have to know how much time you have for the problem, so note that first. Secondly, 
go to the end of the question and read the actual question that your professor is asking you to answer. It will normally be down at the end of the exam. Read that first. Know what the question is and then read the facts. That is the problem itself, but do it quickly. Scan it in no more than three or four or five minutes for the purpose of getting some exposure, a sense of the story, a sense of the relationship, what's happening, who are the parties, that sort of thing. Secondly, now go back and read the problem more carefully, noting relationships and key facts that seem to pop out, given your sense of what the question is that the law professor has asked you. Finally, read it again to identify the issues. Now you've read the question. The question itself will more or less tell you what area of the law that you're in with regard to the issues. And then with your note of the rule in your mind, pick out facts that are appropriate for solving each one of those issues. And I think that's very important. Then you're ready to write your answer. If you have an hour on an exam, it would be customary for you to spend 30 to 40 minutes planning your answer, 20 to 30 minutes writing it or typing it, depending upon how fast that you type. So the more time that you can put into your analysis and structure and outlining of your answer and the less into writing, the better. You're not going to score points on the law school exam because you write more. You'll score points on the law school exam because you're succinct, directly to the point, and you speak clearly and logically, and you've analyzed well. So with that, I have provided a sample essay exam that I used a year or two ago on my first semester contracts exam, and it's based upon an actual Massachusetts uh, case. You can look at the problem. It's an essay fact question. It's on a page. Most law professors, if you only have an hour to answer the question, won't write over a page of facts because it takes too long to read the facts. So the first thing you're going to do is jump to the end. You're the law clerk for the judge and discuss how you would advise the judge to rule and include additional facts you'd find important in your recommendation. Would your answer differ if the UCC applied? So basically the last question is telling you the UCC doesn't apply and you're asked if that choice of law would make any difference. And the first one doesn't really clue you in too much as to what the issues are going to be, you have to scan the problem. The problem is based upon an actual case where a tenant in a shopping mall had a covenant in the lease that the landlord would not lease to anybody else since it was a sandwich shop, would not lease to anybody else that had more than 10% of its sales coming from sandwiches. And so in this particular case, the new prospective tenant that the landlord was contemplating leasing to was a restaurant chain that made and sold burritos. So the precise narrow question in the case was whether a burrito is a sandwich. Since the lease prevents the landlord from leasing to somebody else with uh, sales of sandwiches, if the burrito is a sandwich, since more than 10% of its revenue came from that source, they would be precluded. So, simple question, really, is a burrito a sandwich? The parties, as you read the case and as you read the facts, didn't really discuss this issue. So, the question is, how is the judge going to determine whether a burrito is a sandwich and what legal rules are necessary to define that problem? When you you read my sample essay question and answer, 
you will see that it's longer than you could write in an examination and so it's like four pages. I don't uh, intend that you would necessarily write that much, although it probably will write almost this much since it's double spaced. You could type this much in 20 to 30 minutes. So the real question is what legal rules are implicated. This is not a parole evidence rule question because we're not trying to supplement the agreement between the parties, the lease, with any additional terms. We're just trying to understand what the parties meant when they used the term sandwich in the lease. Of course, the tenant says when we use sandwiches, we meant burritos as well and the landlord says no. So the first question that you would have to determine and that's the one that's tackled in the materials, the rule of law would be what rules govern interpretation of contract terms and generally there's an old rule and a new rule. In order to admit evidence of any sort there has to be some ambiguity in the terms. So the first question that would be faced is whether the term sandwich is ambiguous. If the term sandwich is ambiguous then you can admit evidence to interpret it. And there are two rules for determining ambiguity. The so-called old plain meaning rule, which is discussed in the answer, and that rule basically says that the judge looks at the term from his or her own experience, doesn't consider any external evidence, and says if this is ambiguous on its face, understanding that the question of whether or not this could include the term burrito, then the judge can go ahead and admit parole evidence to prove up what each party's intended meaning. Yes, burrito, no burrito. That might depend upon what jurisdiction you're in, all though most jurisdictions still use the plain meaning rule and how the judge rules on that issue. In the modern rule, the parties can introduce evidence, if there is any parole evidence, on what the parties actually meant by the use of the term sandwich. And so therefore, they could literally create a latent ambiguity from a term that appears facially clear. But once an ambiguity is established, the parties present their evidence and whose meaning will control depends upon the most objective evidence. The moving party must prove that they didn't know of the other party meaning and the other party should have known of theirs. And that's all discussed in the answer that I've given to you. But what is noteworthy is that you can see that there are many things that you might have studied in first semester contracts that would have nothing to do with the solution of this problem. If you take time to discuss the parole evidence rule, if you take time to discuss consideration, if you take time to talk about the meaning of promise, you will be off the mark, wasting your time and not getting any credit for your answer. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for listening to this Office of Admission podcast, and thank you as always for your interest in Suffolk University Law School.